Welcome uh, to Anchor. Again, my name's Arnaldo, uh, and I am a part of the uh, Dulwich Hill Gospel community. That's what I expected. And uh, so I just want to thank everyone uh, who's here. Thank you for everyone who's here for the first time. I'd love to meet you afterwards. As Hope uh, explained, uh, most of the staff is away um, at, a, at a pastor's conference, and I would really love for us to uh, keep them in our prayers. Uh, so Brian uh, and Matt are there, and um, Brad is enjoying his family in London, so we'd love to keep them uh, in our prayers. That would be uh, great for us to do now. We're going to be talking about work today, and I don't know if that's, uh, a, you know, if that's a word that engenders joy in you or if it's something that uh, is sort of deadening to your soul, uh, but before we jump into that and how we should think about work and how we should approach work, I want to pray um, because unless the Spirit works, um, everything that I do up here and all of the words that you receive there uh, will come to nothing if the Holy Spirit doesn't uh, enliven that and, and, and uh, make that come alive. So let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you again for who you are. Uh, we thank you for who you are for us in Christ. We thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but you have called us to be your sons and your daughters. And it's in that spirit of thankfulness, Lord, that we come to your word. And it's in that spirit of thankfulness that we ask your Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and our minds to accept your truth. Father, I pray that you will help me to forget the things that I have prepared that will be unhelpful for your people, but that you will help me uh, to remember the things that will lift your people up, that will bring those who are far from Jesus near to him. And I pray more than anything, Lord, that those who do not know Christ as their living Savior and God and Father and friend and brother, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Like I said, work is a significant part of our lives. In fact, most of us in our you know, normal lifespan, given about 70 years, our waking hours, of our waking hours, we would spend 57% of our waking hours at work. Gallup did a uh, poll recently. Actually, they, they, they polled about 20, something like 24 million people across 181 countries. But most recently, uh, about a quarter of a million of them, uh, they, they polled them again out of 141 countries. And they asked them about work. They asked them some deep questions about how they approach their work, how they feel about work. And it is uh, true that 13% of a quarter of a million people of 141 countries, part-time and full-time workers, are satisfied. About 13% of people are satisfied with their work. About 63% of people are not engaged with their work. So they're there, you know, a bit humdrum. They go in, they clock in, they clock out, they do the bare minimum, and that's about it. And about 24% of us are actively disengaged in work. And I think that's just code word for I hate work. I hate my job. About 24%, so a quarter of a quarter of a million people hate their job. And many people in our culture see work as a necessary evil. I mean, it's just something we have to do. It's not something that we necessarily want to do. It's something we have to do. I don't know if you've uh, seen this meme. Meme, you know, I, I get a lot of my theology from memes. Hashtag life goals. And what is, it's a picture of your iPhone with no alarm set. Have you seen that? Maybe two of you have seen that. <laughs> Look it up. 
And, and the, the point is that a, a, a large constituency of, of our generation, of our people, of our culture, say that work is bad, work is evil, work... One of my life hashtag life goals is to not, be, not have to set an alarm to wake up to go to work. Tim Keller says this, who I've learned a lot from about work. He says this, work, and just listen to this when I read this. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. And I wonder how diametrically opposed that is, how opposite that is to the thinking of our culture that says, food for my soul, more like poison. Food for my work is, is food, what? And I want to ask today, how should we think about work? And in particular, how should Christians, how, if, we, if we adhere to the Christian faith, if we uh, uh, say that Jesus is our Lord and our friend and our big brother, how should we, in particular, think and engage with work? And I think part of the, 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 the problem is most of the time, whenever I've heard um, anyone talk about faith and work and how do we integrate those two, generally people talk about how to share your faith at work. And that, that's about it. I don't know what your experience has been or if, you ha if you've had any experience with uh, uh, um, people uh, teaching or thinking about faith and work. Usually, it's summed up as, okay, find ways to start a Bible study or find ways how to share your faith with your coworkers. And I want to say this, absolutely, absolutely, we want to uh, not, not only share uh, uh, the faith everywhere else, but especially at 57% of our waking hours are spent at work. And Jesus, if he's going to be Lord of all your life and not just your Sundays, that means that at some point we're, we want to open our mouths and share the good news of the gospel. But I want to think of that as the floor and not the roof. That isn't the whole picture. That is where we begin, but it's absolutely not where we end when we begin to think about what it means to integrate our faith and our work. What is the story of work? And I want to give you today, I hope, I want to give you a grand and expansive vision of work, not only in your life, but in the plan of God, in the story of God. Because so often when we think about this, we get a bit, bit navel-gazing, we get, our vision gets very uh, uh, myopic, and we just start thinking about just ourselves. But I want to think about what you do. I want us to think about what you do in the grand scheme of things. And I want to offer you a definition. Work is this. Work is our participation in and continuation of the call that our first parents received, that's Adam and Eve, in the garden to create culture where humanity and the material world would flourish and experience shalom. Now, the word shalom so often in our Bible is translated as peace. But it means so much more than that. There, there, there's so much richness in that word. It doesn't just mean the, uh, uh, the absence of, uh, you know, racial tensions like what's going on in America. It doesn't just mean the absence of violence or the absence of things that are bad. It actually means the presence of fullness, the presence of overflowing goodness. And work, our work, your work, whether you are a maid or a CEO, your work contributes to that vision. But so often, listen, we don't experience it that way, do we? 
we experience it more like, you know, like our, our culture experiences it, which is work is just a, a necessary evil. There's a book uh, uh, by Alastair McIntyre, this moral philosopher, uh, written in 1981, still quite uh, widely read today. And he says this, he says, unless we understand our experiences through a story, through a narrative, we're not going to know how to respond. So unless we understand everything that happens to us within the context of a story, of a narrative, we're not going to know how to respond. And he gives this example. He says, just imagine if you're on Parramatta Road. Now, I, you know, I'm adding salt and pepper here. Imagine if you're on Parramatta Road waiting for the 422, and someone comes up to you, and they say, <clears throat> hey, the name for the common wild duck is histrionicus, 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 and he walks away. So, you know, you pause your, your, you know, your iPhone, probably listen to Mumford & Sons like I am at the moment, and you, know, you put down your book, or, or, and you start thinking of ways how to make sense of what just happened, the interaction that just happened. Now, you understand what this person said. You have new knowledge now. You know that the Latin name for the common wild duck is histrionicus, but it doesn't make any sense. So you're a bit bewildered. So Alistair McIntyre, he gives us a couple of ways how we can make sense of this story. Number one, the first one's a little bit sad. You know, this person may be mentally ill. And that, that, that is, uh, you know, a bit sad that someone's just going around giving uh, uh, the name for the common wild duck in Latin. The other story, which is a bit more common, is uh, yesterday while you guys were at the library, someone of your age, complexion, size, gender, asked this person, hey, can you do a bit of research for me and find out what the Latin name for the common wild duck is? And he sees you on Parramatta Road waiting for the 422, and he goes, hey, that must be him. Let me offer this information. That's another explanation. That's another story that we can go by. Or this one's maybe just a bit more outlandish. The other story is maybe this is a spy, and they're waiting for their contact, and this is a secret code. Now, how are you going to respond to that story? How are you going to respond to that data? How are you going to respond to, to, to that uh, 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 sense data, that, you, that interaction? Well, you have to put it within a story. And if you get the story wrong, you're going to get your response wrong. And so often, we think about work because we inhabit a wrong story, a false narrative about the world. So I want to walk us through a couple false narratives about the world that we, uh, we often just drink up with the water, with our cultural waters, and we just start to live this way, even as Christians, because that's just the air that we breathe. A fish doesn't know it's wet. And so often, as Christians, we, we, we just swallow everything whole, and oftentimes we, we believe these false narratives. False narrative number one is that this world that we have, this small blue earth, and the 70, 80, 90, if you're lucky, years that you get, is all that there is. That's it. This world is all that there is. There's nothing else after this. There was, you know, uh, uh, eons of nothing before this, and, and when I die, I'm just going to rot, and there's going to be nothing else. So how, does work, how do we interpret work? When we have that, when we're living according to that story, well, a couple ways is we use work as a means for just 
personal gain, personal fulfillment. It's about making the most money, and that's why we uh, will ignore a maid, but we will say hello to a CEO. That's why we will uh, uh, demean manual work, but often praise other types of uh, um, you know, information, information technology type of work. If this is all there is, it makes sense that we should just work for the weekend. We should just work to get enough money to go on that next Kentucky tour. I mean, that's, that's all that makes sense if we live in this closed, finite world where this is all there is. And so often, while we may say that we believe there is more to this than this, we often live as if this is it. In a couple of years, you're going to punch your clock, that, that, that permanent one, not five o'clock. I mean, you know, you, you're done. And you think that's it. So I need to maximize pleasure. I need to maximize self. Another way uh, that we approach work is we find our identity through it. We say, this is all there is, and I need to make a name for myself. And because there is nothing outside of here, there, there's no discovered meaning. It's just created meaning. I need to create my world. I need to create my identity. And therefore, one way leads to underwork. I just need to do enough to enjoy the weekend. And another one creates overwork because you idolize work and you make it your entire life. You work so much because you feel that without doing we become human doings and not human beings. When we feel that this life, this world, these 70 years, give or take, that's all there is. And we respond to work according to that story. So of course we're going to disdain. Of course we're going to say, thank God it's Friday. I get a, I get a weekend. I get a long weekend. And listen, I'm, you know, I, I, this is not a, 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 a sermon about rest. I think we need to work out of our rest. So I, I do not want to call us to not rest. But the point is, and, and the overarching theme of our culture says that work is bad, work is evil, because we're listening to a false narrative. The other one, if this false narrative is found in the world, the second one is found in the church. The second one is found in the church. See, because the first false narrative, the first false story says, this world is all there is. The second one that is found in the church oftentimes is, that one is all there is. That world. This one day will burn up, and it will cease to exist, and we're going to float up and play harps for eternity. That would suck for me. I mean, the guys who are up here... If they want to play instruments for eternity, that's great. They, they find that life-giving. It would not be heaven if I needed to do that. And we often think that God has sent Jesus Christ into the world so that we can escape it. And when we begin to think that way, we begin to think of work as, this is, again, something I just need to do in the meantime. And there's no value or eternity inside of our work because so often we think well you know if you were on the titanic when it was sinking why would you need to do much and so often a lot of christians just think well listen this this world's going to hell in a handbasket who cares we just we just got to get through this man so we huddle and we get together and we say the world is bad and the world is is is, is evil 
in, in all senses. And we often think then that the material is bad and that the spiritual is good. But I want to tell you something. Jesus came into the world not to make you more spiritual. Jesus came into the world to renew and make you the human that you were meant to be if there were no sin. That's what he came to do. So the false narrative says, uh, 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 in the world says, this world is all there is. The false narrative in the church says, that world is all there is. But I think there's another story. I think we can see our work in a different light based on the scriptures. And I want to turn us to Genesis. Genesis 2. If you have a Bible, uh, Genesis 2, it'll be up on the screen. Genesis 2, verse 1. Now, if this is your first time opening a Bible, when I say Genesis 2, verse 1, the 2, the chapter is a large number, and the verse is a small number. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now you need to understand that today we have paper and ink. Back then when these scriptures were written, about, could, could be about, about four and a half thousand years ago, this was quite scarce. And uh, writers of the scriptures were very careful not to waste space. But did you notice here three times, he says, God works. And this was written in a culture, to a culture that said that God created humans because they hated work. And they created humans so that they can do the menial work for them. But here, our God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of Jesus and of David and of Moses and of Paul, this God works. And work is a good thing. And that word work that he uses there and later on uh, in chapter 2 when he talks about forming uh, a man out of the ground, that word for work is, is, is a word that was used for menial work, for gardening, for work with your hands, for work that was, res was reserved for the lower stratosphere of society. And it is this God who works Work is good. So often we think that work is a result of the fall. That work happened after Adam and Eve rebelled. But I'm going to continue reading uh, from verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. I want, to notice, I want, I want us to notice just a couple things. And I just want to re-emphasize, because so often 
the voices that we hear, the stories that we have already adopted are so loud that I want to make it crystal clear. God created work good. And unless we see it in light of the end, which we're getting to, we're going to adopt that hashtag life goals. I just, in five years, I, I want to uh, not be able to set alarms. And we, he goes on in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I want to stop there really quickly and just say this. In this culture, in this, in this day and age, when someone had the authority to name something, that denotes something extremely important. God creates Adam. He creates the first man. And he says, I am giving you co-dominion over this creation. You are to be a steward. You are to be a, a vice regent, so to speak. You are to be a prince of this earth. I'm giving you the authority to name these animals and to rule over them lovingly. And he continues. The man gave names against all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. And when he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And that rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the whole point of this narrative, the whole point, or at least one of them, is to say this, that God creates man as a co-creator. He creates man and woman, humanity, so that they can join him in his work. So your work now is not just separate from God, although sometimes we may not even think about it that way, but everything we do, all of our work of our hands, the labor of our hands and our minds and our bodies and our imaginations, this is God calling us to join him in culture making, to create beauty, to create function, to create the world that he wants for us. Tim Keller says this. It's a long quote, but it's worth it. He says, it is this act of working with God, of culture making. It is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. This pattern is found in all kinds of work. Farming takes the physical matter of soil and seed and produces food. Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom and clean up a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an unformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when we take simple materials and turn them into a poignant work of art, we are continuing God's work of forming. He formed the earth, he filled the earth, and subduing. 
Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. In fact, our word culture comes from this idea of cultivation. Just as he subdued the earth in his work of creation, so he calls us now to labor as his representatives in a continuation and extension of that work of subduing. This is so different to what we hear everywhere, just about everywhere, about work. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is an opportunity to join God in your particular fields, whether you are a stay-at-home mom or a part-time stay-at-home mom who also has to work outside of the home. And and let, let, let me tell you something. Guys, most of us here don't have kids. I have kids. I have three. And l- let me just tell you something about uh, uh, child care and, and stay-at-home moms. One of the hardest jobs I have ever had to do part-time, I remember when Anthony, my, he's seven now, but when he was two, I would stay with him a couple days at home, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And when Thursdays came, I was just like ready, ready to go to work. Because that was so difficult. Because that's like 24-7. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But I, I, I want to lift up the, uh, the profile, the, the, the dignity of, of having to raise people and send them out into this world as cultivated people. That is hard work. You know, some of you have to uh, uh, do work that is, is menial. I've worked 10 years. I worked 10 years in, uh, um, in a warehouse. That was quite difficult. Pushing boxes and, and opening and counting books all day. I mean, the books, that's probably what kept me there. But it, it was hard work. Some of you work in offices, and that's no less difficult. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are lawyers. Some of you are doctors and nurses and different practitioners. Some of you are in ministry. Some of you do. And and listen, what you need to see, what I want you to see, is that your work contributes to the co-creation of a beautiful culture that God has given our first parents, Adam and Eve, and now he calls us to join in that work. But we know we don't experience it that way all the time. I want to take you to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, because uh, it, so often uh, we, we, we look at Genesis 1 and 2 and say, well, things should be peachy, but Genesis 3, what, what happens is our first parents rebel. You know, it's, it's normally called the fall, And the fall just seems a little too passive for me. It's more like the plunge. It's more like these guys, they saw the promises of God. They heard his command and they said, we don't want, we're not not content to be co-creators with you. We're not content to be with you. We want to be you. And they fall. They plunge. They break not only God's law, but God's heart. And this is one of the results of that sin on our work. To the woman, he said, you'll get verse 17 up there, but I'm just going to read from verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. 
In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And when, he, and when it's talking about your, I, I, I will multiply your pain in childbearing, it's not just talking about the hospital. A better translation could be child rearing. I'm going to multiply your pain as you raise your kids because sin is now involved. And you're not raising little angels, but now you're raising little sinners. Verse 17, and to Adam, yeah, you can borrow my kids, to Adam, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat up, eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. A lot of things happening there. A lot of things that I would love to explain, but I will not. But this is, this is the basic point. He's saying now... This curse, because you have disobeyed me, the entire cosmos is broken. And the work that was supposed to be fulfilling all the time, the work that was supposed to bring you joy all the time, the work that was supposed to advance this cultural development all the time is broken. And you experience that every single day. The frustration of work the fruitlessness sometimes of work. And yet, as God redeems our work, he is using it, and he will use it as the building blocks of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, redemption. So we looked at creation. Work is good. Fall. Work is bad or can be frustrating and often is frustrating. But what do we think about when we think about redemption? What, what do we think about when we think about when Jesus enters the picture. I want to take you to Romans 8. And so often when we think about redemption and we think about God sending Jesus as a cross-cultural missionary from heaven, from the culture of heaven to the culture of earth, we think he came to save our souls or just make, hopefully we, we start to think that he came also to save our bodies. But it goes even beyond that. Read with me from verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be re revealed to us. For, listen, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who has subjected it, listen, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Do you see that? That the redemption that Jesus wrought on the cross in his sinless life and in his death not only comes to us but through us to the material universe. All of creation will be renewed, not just us. And that means that your work is also being reclaimed and repurposed for him. But let's go to the end. Revelation 21 and 22. So we have God creates work good, but often because of the fall we find it frustrating and fruitless. 
But God came in the person of Jesus Christ, not only to redeem our souls and our bodies, but our work. But this is, uh, this is the, the proofs in the pudding. Where, where are we going with this? Where, where is this project? Where does this story of God come? Where does it go? That's the point. Because all this can be true, but it can be all burned up. Or it can go to nothing. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, you know, you may get sick of me saying this, but when history is wrapped up, when the end of time comes, you will not be floating up to heaven. Heaven will be coming down to earth. And where the first false narrative says that all that matters is this earth, and the second false narrative says all that matters is that place. What the Bible teaches is that these two things will be joined and that we will be recreated humans to be who Adam was supposed to be, to create a culture that Adam was supposed to create, to create a people that Adam and Eve failed to create. I want to take you to Revelation 22. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The tree of life. Where, 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 where do we see that? The garden. This city that is coming, this city, not this rural town, not this back, you know, backwashed little place. No, a city, a beautifully adorned city is coming out of heaven. And this city, because we know that the tree of life is there, this is what Adam was supposed to build. The same tree of life that's in Genesis 2 is in Revelation 22. The same tree of life, the same river is here. This means... That Jesus has come, not only to save our souls, not only even to save our bodies, but to reclaim the entire universe, and that includes your work. Your work, as you work out your, your calling, your vocation, as a teacher, as a mom, as a father, as a, as a worker, as a, as a maid, as a CEO, as a banker, all of this contributes. And this is how we know. In Isaiah 60, there's this beautiful picture this beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And in Isaiah 60, Isaiah talks about the, the wealth of the nations coming in, the, the ships of Tarshish coming in. And Tarshish was a place, oftentimes, in, even in Isaiah chapter 2, that was judged. And yet, it's, it's the things that were judged that now are cleansed and repurposed for his kingdom and will come into the new heavens and the new earth, which means that our broken work, the broken systems, the systems that often perpetrate evil, will one day be cleansed. 
will one day be cleansed. And when you go in on Monday and, and, and you see the broken systems of education or law or fashion, those broken systems, you know that one day God is going to redeem, reclaim, and repurpose them for his kingdom. Miroslav Volf, a Croatian theologian, says this, Then the results of the cumulative work of human beings have intrinsic value and gain ultimate significance, for they are related to the eschatological, that is the end, new creation. Not only indirectly through faith and service they enable, or sanctification, that is, becoming more like Christ, they further, but also directly the noble products of human ingenuity. Whatever is beautiful, true, and good in human cultures will be cleansed from impurity, perfected, and transfigured to become a part of God's new creation. They will form the building materials from which, after they are transfigured, the glorified world will be made. Now, doesn't that picture... Send you to work with hope. Doesn't that picture, knowing that your work will be transfigured and brought into the new heavens and the new earth, that's hope for your work. So I didn't want to come up here and just give you a couple tips on how to be a better Christian at work, although those things are important. In extremely important to be, uh, to be a person of integrity and of truthfulness and of wisdom. But unless we place this in the true story of the world, we're just not going to respond properly. So, a couple things that I want to leave you with. Two things. Discern the story that you've been living. Think about that. What, what, what have you been living according and, and work backwards. What's your response to work? What's your response to menial work? You know, w- one of the ways that I, I remember hearing uh, this in a sermon that uh, um, we, we can see how this reality of uh, us demeaning menial work but lifting up um, uh, uh, less menial work, sort of higher paying or higher skilled jobs, is in a hospital. There was this pastor who um, went in to visit one of his parishioners somewhere in America, and he um, uh, was talking to the nurse, and he, realized, he was watching the nurse, and when the janitor w- said hello to the nurse, she ignored him. But when the doctor said hello to the nurse, oh, she was full attention. And he said, this is a broken system where we think that people are more valuable because of the work that they do. But every form of work is valuable. So discern the story you've been living. But second, discern, think about the particular idols of your, of your industry. Now, a lot of us maybe haven't thought about idolatry or idols. What's that now? An idol, so often we think, is a statue that we bow down to. And they're, they're generally overtly bad. But idols are, are, are just a, a bit more nuanced than that, a bit trickier than that. An idol is often a good thing that we elevate to be an ultimate thing. In our culture, let's think about what, what one idol of our, of our culture is, is our, is our individualism. God is not against individuals. He does save individuals. 
But so often what we do is that we elevate our individualism to the point that it becomes the ultimate norm. And one of the, the worst uh, uh, um, uh, um, retorts that you can get today is, you're just a follower. You're just conforming. What are the particular idols in your industry? If you work in art, what are the idols there? What, what, what is it in that particular industry that people elevate? If you work in medicine, what are the particular idols that, you, that, that people in that industry elevate to the point that if you say, if I just had that, I would be happy, I'd be fine, I would have made it. And this is the problem. Tim Keller says, when we are successful, it goes to our head. If we're failures, it goes to our heart. But if we have this grand vision of work in the story of God, and we know that our identity doesn't, isn't, isn't constructed by our work, then we know who we are. Discern the particular idols. I want to leave you with a story. Most of you have heard of J.R.R. Tolkien. He's the, uh, the, the, the British author of, of Lord of the Rings. And it took him decades to write Lord of the Rings. Decades. I mean, the stories are so deep. I mean, he took decades to write just the histories, to make up the languages, to make up the maps, the geography. It took him decades. And there was a point where he, he came to a bit of an impasse. And he just had writer's block. He just, he couldn't, he said he just ran out of steam. And he was taking a walk one day, and he, th there was a, a particular beautiful tree, and he saw his neighbor just hacking it off, hacking it down. And he said, Is it, I'm going to, you know, he was afraid that he would die without completing the Lord of the Rings, and thank God he didn't, Right? But as he, you know, he was trying to get out of his writer's block, he wrote this short story called Leaf by Niggle. Not very famous, but he wrote this short story and he gave it to a newspaper to publish. And the short story is about this guy called Niggle who was obsessed, was dedicated. He was a painter who was dedicated to drawing this beautiful tree with a, with a majestic landscape. I mean, his whole life was given to this. And he was drawing and drawing and drawing. And at the end of his life, he was afraid. He said, I'm not going to finish this. At the end, he had one leaf. One leaf. And when he died, he said he went into heaven, to the new heavens and the new earth. And what did he see? His tree. There is a tree. And so often when we look at our work, we think, oh, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to create just social structures. I'm going to create the new technology that is going to make people's lives better. And so often, because of the fall, because of sin, we're, are, are, we're, we're curtailed. We, we are stopped from, from completing our tree. But I want you to know this, that in the new heavens and the new earth, your tree will be there. The work you do as a city builder, there will be a perfect city. The work you do in government, there will be a perfect government. The work that you do in teaching, there will be perfect minds. The work that you do in art, there will be, the, the city says, is, is built with beautiful jewels. 
your tree will be there. And the only reason why your tree is going to be there is because there was another tree. This tree wasn't so beautiful. This tree, in fact, was an instrument of death. And it's because God came as a missionary to this earth, as a person, as Jesus Christ, and lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, and a horrible death that you and I deserve because of that tree that he hung and died and bled and was cursed, Deuteronomy says. That one day, your work that you are doing now, that tree will be there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you are a God of work. We thank you that you don't call us to overwork or underwork. We thank you that you don't call us to find our identity in our work, but you do call us, Lord. You do call us to view our work with, with so much hope and so much glory and so much purpose. May we find ways, Lord, to think about these things so that when we go to work tomorrow, when we go into the office, when we go into the classroom, when we are woken up at 3 a.m. by our kids, we know that this work will not go to waste but will be used as the building blocks of the new heavens and the new earth. It's in this hope that we sing now. It's in this hope that we taste of the bread and the, and the juice as your, your body and blood broken for us. It's in this hope, Lord, that we go out into this city as missionaries to love and hope for those who may not know you. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we love to do here at Anchor is we celebrate together. We celebrate the broken body and the, broken, and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be a couple stations, two at the front, two at the back. And this is a time, if you say you love Jesus and you have experienced his grace, or maybe this is the first time that you've uh, experienced his grace in this way, we would love for you to join us in that. And there's going to be people at the back to pray for you. And we'd love love, love for us to take advantage of that time. So I ask you guys to celebrate with us, to come and stand up and sing to this God who works and who calls us to partner with him in his work.